0: Thank you, J.T., musicians and singers. Thank you so much. Thank you, choir. Beautiful. Good to see everyone. Glad you're here. And those watching online, glad you're watching as well. We're still in our study on Joseph. And uh, if you'll turn in your Bibles, as you see on the screen there, to chapter 45. Chapter 45, we'll pick up the study where we left off last week we're coming to a close as you'll see in a few moments you'll think we've finished but maybe we haven't quite finished yet uh, in this study but chapter 45 i remind you where we are in the study of course Joseph was hated by his 10 older brothers and they were going to kill him that's how much they hate him they couldn't say one kind word to him that's the home he grew up in Then when he was 17, they planned to kill him, but decided instead of killing them themselves, they would throw him in a pit and let him die of hunger and exposure. And uh, so they threw him in the pit. And then they decided that they'd make a little money and sell him as a slave. So they did so, and he was taken into Egypt. And, uh, of course, then went into the house of Potiphar. His wife accused him of making immoral advances towards her it was it was really her towards him but uh, Potiphar then had him thrown into prison he was in prison Potiphar's house in prison altogether 13 years and then he interpreted dreams for Pharaoh and uh, they were correct because they God had given those that interpretation and uh, so Joseph then was uh, set to be and was put in uh, command second in command in Egypt. He became the prime minister. And, uh, and so then he, you know, the, fa- the seven years of plenty and then two years of famine came. There's, there's going to be seven, but just two came when his brothers came along. And now it's been 22 years since they sold him. And his brothers come along and looking for food to eat And they see Joseph. They don't know it's Joseph. Joseph knows them, and he went through that testing process we looked at last week. And uh, so finally he reveals himself to his brothers, Benjamin included. And uh, they weep together and rejoice together. He forgives the terrible things they did to him. And uh, then he says, go back to, to Canaan and get my father and bring him here to Egypt. And so uh, that's where we, we left the story. Pick it up in verse 45 and look at verse 25 it is. And they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father. Remember Jacob and Israel are the same person. God changed his name. But he is referred to uh, by both names all through the end of the book of Genesis even though his name had been changed. So here he's referred to him as Jacob again. And they told him, that is they told Jacob, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt, and Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. It was too good to be true. And uh, he's, an, he's an older man, 130 years old, and he is, uh, his heart like faints within him. It's like he's, he, it makes him dizzy and uh, they told him all the words of Joseph Which he had said unto them And when he saw the wagons Remember they sent wagons To bring all the family This is a huge family And all of their workers And their, all their cattle and so forth So Pharaoh told Joseph He could send, send wagons So there's wagon loads of food And so forth and, and so the old man maybe looked out His you know opening in his tent And he sees this Caravan, as far as the eye can see, and uh, that uh, Joseph had sent. And then it says, And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, his spirit, or the spirit of Jacob their father, revived. And Israel said, Now, same man here called Israel. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go down and see him before I die. And uh, so his heart's filled with joy. Now he starts to make that journey. Remember, the journey takes 15, 20 days, probably uh, 20 or more with this larger crowd moving and some of them being elderly. And we're headed towards that reunion. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for your eternal word. Thank you that we can see in our own lives that you are molding us with your own hand through the affairs the through the difficulties and problems and burdens we all bear you are molding us as you did Joseph for that we are thankful speak to us now in Jesus name Amen Amen there was a woman by the name of Linda DeFue and she was a secretary at a, at a law school she loved her job but she was diagnosed with TM and rheumatoid arthritis it was so bad she had to have several surgeries and got where she couldn't use her hands and uh, so she lost her job and uh, she started feeling, as most people would discouraged depressed kinda bitter and uh, angry at the situation and she was keeping a journal And she said, uh, as she thumbed through her journal and saw all the negative thoughts that she had written down, she wrote this, and I'm quoting, Dwelling on my problems would only make things worse. So as difficult as it seemed, I began finding things to be grateful for. And there were a lot of them. Then she tells that she was reading her Bible... And uh, she came across something that influenced her from what she said, the wisdom of King Solomon. We know, of course, it comes from the book of Proverbs, chapter 15, but this is the way she writes it. Solomon said we had two choices, live a cheerful life and enjoy good health or allow a broken spirit to dry up our bones. She said, I chose the first one. It's pretty important we choose the first one, isn't it? And she said, "I choose the first one." And uh, she said, uh, "My decision to trust the Lord and think positive led to uh, positive actions." Now, now she goes back to college at age 40. Her arthritis is so bad she can't type. And so she has this, what I used to call a kindergarten or first grade pencil. You know, it's a big old, round, big old round pencil, real big. She used that pencil. That's all she could hold, something big like that. She used that pencil, and the eraser side, she would type on her computer. That's all she could do. And uh, And then she continued to read her Bible and trust the Lord. And she said, I noticed I was smiling more even when I didn't feel like it. She said, instead of dwelling on what I couldn't do, I woke up each morning with a welcome wave of optimism, trusting the Lord. Despite my handicap, I was seen each day as an opportunity to move forward and to serve Him. She became a, an author, a mystery writer, writing novels, Uh, mysteries and in her new life the Lord the Lord sometimes lets things come into our lives to change our direction a little bit but always to mold us into the image of Christ to mold us by his own hand she could have dwelt on the negative and become bitter and depressed and more depressed and more bitter and more angry but she chose to do what we've seen Joseph doing, trusting and uh, accepting what's happening, serving, praying, and loving. That's, that's what we see in the life of Joseph. Now look at your screen for a moment. As we're coming down towards the end, I want us to summarize some things just quickly. We've seen in our study, and we'll continue to see, authentic believers are all made of clay. You know, take it, take it easy on yourself. None of us are perfect. We're all made of clay. And even though Joseph is one of the great heroes of the Bible, he was not perfect. Nor was the people surrounding him. One of the other heroes in this, of course, pa- uh, passage of Scripture is Jacob. And he certainly was not perfect, as we know. Um, And so, we're all made of clay, aren't we? So, don't be so hard on yourself. And by the way, don't be so hard on your mate. They're not perfect either. Don't be so hard on the people around you. None of us are perfect. Let's accept the fact we're all made of clay. And then, we've learned that we should be growing to live by grace. Colossians 2 says, As you have received Him, so walk in Him. We were saved by grace. We should live by grace. Not by the law, but by grace. And uh, understanding and appropriating His strength, not because we're good or worthy, but because of His marvelous grace. Learning to live by grace. Sometimes that takes some of us a pretty good while. And a lot of you know, struggles and, uh, and heartaches. So we're learning to live by grace. We're learning to depend on the Lord, trusting Him for His strength. And we're all different. Don't, don't try to think the person next to you or in front of you or behind you is wrong because they're a little different from you. We're all different. God doesn't want us to stick us all in a mold and make us all the same. He wants us to, to keep our personalities and who we are and our experiences and, and taking that mold us in the image of Christ and then we should be viewing life as a pilgrimage we're just passing through aren't we this isn't our final destination let's touch as many lives as we can, let's brag on Jesus and rejoice in his grace, we're just passing through and then we're becoming more like Jesus that's the molding of course and then making a difference in their world, I said last week None of us are going to influence people like Billy Graham did, speaking to millions. And when, pe- and when people were leaving, somebody said to me, you said none of us are going to speak to millions. And he said, one of us might or some of us might. And I said, you're exactly right. I meant it's likely none of us are going to reach millions. It's possible, though. But we can touch the lives of our family and people we work with and people in our neighborhood, people in our church, we can be a great influence for Christ. And God wants us to be so. So make a difference in our uh, world. Now, with that said, let's go back to our text. And I've got to move we're moving through a lot of chapters today, so turn over to chapter uh, 48, if you would. Chapter 48. Keep your Bibles open. We'll move around a little bit. Chapter 48. I'm sorry, back up. I missed a spot here. In uh, chapter 46 and verse 29. Now remember, they've tr- the, Jacob and his family now have traveled back this 20 plus day journey from Cana to Egypt. And verse 29 says, And Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel his father to Goshen. That's where they're going to live. That's the land that Joseph and the Pharaoh gave to him. And presented himself unto him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck for a good while. Can you see that reunion? It's been 22 years. And for those 22 years... Jacob thought Joseph was dead because that's the lie the brothers told, and as, and as far as uh, as far as Joseph knew, his father might be dead. Remember, one of the first questions he asked them when they told about a father is, "Is your father still well? Is he alive and is he well?" But Joseph didn't know that. As far as he knew, maybe his father would have and could have died. Now, after 22 years, they're together and they're hugging. Can't you just see them? They're laughing, they're crying, they're hugging, they can't talk. They're so overwhelmed with uh, this loving moment, this family moment. And then um, verse 30 says, "And And Israel said unto Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. We might say it like this, I can die happy now. Since I've been brought back into union with you and I know you're alive, I can die a happy man. That's the thought here. Now jump over to verse, chapter 48 for a moment. Let's pick up a couple of verses here. Now so, uh, quite a bit of time has passed here, close to 17 years since that since that union between Jacob and his son Joseph, just about 17 years have passed and Jacob is blessing Joseph's two sons. Remember, he had two sons who were born in, in Egypt after he got out of prison. Uh, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so, Jacob, old Jacob, now maybe close to 147 years old, is blessing the boys. And look at verse 15. And he blessed Joseph and said... God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all of my uh, life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. That's his blessing upon the lads. And, and let my name be named on them and the name of my father Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of Of the earth So here he speaks of God In three terms He is First he calls him God And then you you can't really see it In the King James Then he calls him We'll look at it a little more In just a second Uh, He calls him his shepherd And then he calls him His redeemer Now this is a beautiful passage This is the first time that the Lord is called a shepherd in the Bible. And it's the first time the Lord is called our Redeemer in the Bible. And it's all right here in in these two verses. If you look at it again, he says uh, in verse 15, Abraham and Isaac did walk. That verb indicates a continual action or even habitual action. They they walked with Him, not just one time, but they walked with Him through their lives and communed with Him and fellowshiped with the God of the Bible. And, And then it says, And God which fed me. See the word fed there? That word is translated shepherd 63 times in the Old Testament. The fact is, it's the exact same word that David will use over 500 years later, when David said, The Lord is my shepherd. Same Hebrew word. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Well, Jacob, Jacob beat David to it. That's what he's saying. The Lord is my shepherd, and he's been my shepherd from the time I was born until, until this very moment. <coughs> The word indicates tending, taking care of, watching over, leading and feeding. The Amplified puts it, He's been shepherding me, leading and feeding me. If we, with the eye of faith, look, we can see where He's taken care of us through all these years too, can't we? And we can rejoice like Jacob did. And then it says, uh, and the angel which redeemed me from all evil. Now, that's in a tense that indicates continual action too. He redeemed me, and he's still redeeming me from, uh, from evil, evil. Bless the lads. The word angel is capitalized there, as you see in the King James, because the King James translators understood it to be a reference to God himself. In the Old Testament, you, you remember theophanies took place, that is when God appeared in human form. And sometimes, instead of calling them theophanies, we call them Christophanies, when it's obvious that it is Christ, the second person of the Trinity, that has revealed himself in some human way to, to humans. And, uh, of course, that took place in Abraham's life, in the cool of the day, an angel came up, and we find out very soon that that angel is the Lord himself the Lord Jesus before of course his incarnation and then if you remember Jacob himself wrestled with a man all night long and finally the man blessed him and that man is with a capital M because that man was God himself who came in a theophany and Christ himself and uh, he touched He touched Jacob, and his hip was out of socket, and he limped. Now, I don't know if he limped all the rest of the days of his life. I kindly suspect he did. But we know he limped from that wrestling match with the Lord that night until he finally surrendered completely to the Lordship of Christ. And that was, again, that quote, angel with a capital A, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. So he refers to the, to the Lord as the angel which redeemed me from all evil, delivers me, uh, redeemed me, and continues to do so. So we have the word uh, Elohim, which is translated here God, which means the supreme God, the one true God, the sovereign one, the creator of heaven and earth. He's called God. He's called our shepherd, the one who tends and takes care of us, leads us and feeds us. And he's called our redeemer. He delivers us from the sins committed and he'll also deliver us from uh, on our daily walk, delivering us from... Uh, from sinning and making wrong decisions and so forth. Now, the Amplified puts that together in a beautiful package. I'm going to show that to you. Look up at your screen for a moment and, uh, and notice verse 15. Then Jacob blessed Joseph uh, and said, God himself, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac lived and walked habitually, God himself, who has been my shepherd and has led me and fed me from the time uh, I came into being unto this day. Wow, what a description. Now, that's only the two-part description of God. The third part description is here. Uh, the redeeming angel, that is the angel, uh, the redeemer, not a created being but the Lord himself who has redeemed me, uh, who uh, continually from every evil bless the lads and then the last part of it and let my name be perpetuated in them uh, may they be worthy of having their names coupled with mine and the names of my fathers abraham and isaac and let them uh, b- uh, become a multitude in the midst of the earth and so we see jacob had a wonderful view of who god was didn't he he's elohim He's the sovereign creator. He's the shepherd who takes care of us because we're, we're weak and pitiful little sheep. We need a shepherd, don't we? We need somebody to take care of us. And then we need a redeemer because we're sinful and we need forgiveness of sin. And then we need strength and help to say no to sin continually through life. It's a beautiful prayer for those lads, for those two sons. Now, turn over, if you would... Another chapter to uh, through chapter forty nine to chapter fifty one. And let's look there. Chapter fifty and verse one. Now Jacob has died. Am I, did I say chapter fifty one? I said chapter 51. <laughs> <No. laughs> anyway, that's what I meant to say. Chapter 50, verse 1. And his father Jacob now has died. And Joseph fell on his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. Now, this is 17 years later. Jacob lived in the land of Egypt for 17 years and they. Of course had this now beautiful fellowship When he dies, uh, Jacob is 147 years old And Joseph is 56 years old So that's the scene of this 56 year old man Falling on his father's neck and kissing him and weeping over him By the way, you know I mentioned last week that in the reconciling years Joseph wept six times, the Bible tells us. Now he may have wept a lot more than that, but the Bible reveals six times that he wept. And uh, now it's seventeen years later we're going the scriptures going to mention that he wept two additional times. I don't think anybody in the Bible is spoken of as weeping as much as Joseph. He must have had a tender heart and uh, he must have, through all those, adversities he went through God molded him and gave him compassion and uh, love for people well here he loves his family and he's he's weeping over his father and verse 2 and Joseph commanded his servants and physicians to embalm his father and the physicians embalmed Israel so he dies and uh, he's embalmed now they he made Joseph promise he would bury him in Canaan. So Egypt mourned for, uh, for Jacob for 70 days. Isn't that something? And that's only a few days less than they, than, than they would mourn a Pharaoh. So it lets you see how much they respected Joseph. This is Joseph's dad, and Joseph has been like a pharaoh, guiding our country through these years. And then they took him. A big, uh, try to imagine this, a big uh, procession. Wagons, chariots. There was dignitaries in the courts of Egypt that went, and they traveled back to Canaan. Remember, it's at least... 20 days, 15 to 20, but 20 in with a big group. And uh, they go there and they bury him. And then they, that large group comes back. By the way, that was the first time Joseph had been back home since he was sold uh, into slavery. And uh, so he goes back and takes his dad. He's 56 years old now. You remember, he was 17 when he was sold. Now, when they get back, and this is the part I intended to spend the most time on, but I've been working my way towards it apparently too slowly. Uh, look over in chapter 50, and we, let's pick it up in verse 15. They're back home from this uh, journey. It's been, uh, it's been 17 years since the uh, Joseph's family came to live in Egypt. And uh, verse 15 says, And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will preadventure hate us and will certainly require us all the evil which we did unto him. Now, 17 years earlier, Joseph forgave them and told them. He said, "Don't, Don't hold it against yourself. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to nourish you and all of your children. Everything's good. I'm going to take care of you. And now they say, 17 years later, I'm afraid he's going to punish us for our terrible deed. I don't have time to elaborate on this thought, but it's sad when when God's people come to a place in their life where they, they lose the assurance of their salvation. Now, I'm not saying they lost their salvation, that can't happen, of course, but I've met people on up in years. They've been saved, let's say, 17 years because that's how long since Joseph forgave them. And they still are afraid they're going to be punished for their sins. If the Lord has forgiven you, your sins are as far away from you as the east is from the west. Just keeps on going. As far away from you as the depths of the sea and never to be remembered again. Wow. What a great forgiveness we have. Amen. So this is a little insulting to Joseph. It's a little insulting to the Lord too, I think. After he's redeemed us by his precious blood for us to doubt his promises. But he understands. If you do, he understands. But he wants you to come to that place where you know for sure that you know your sins are forgiven. So they, uh, they sent a message to Joseph. Look at verse 16. And they sent a message unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray you now, the trespasses of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil... And now we pray thee, uh, forgive their trespasses, uh, the trespasses of thy servants, the servants of God of, of my father. And, and when, when Joseph heard this, and Joseph wept when they spake unto him. Here's the, here's the last time he's weeping. This time he's weeping because his brothers are asking for forgiveness all over again. They probably fabricated, that uh, story about Jacob saying his, in some of his last words for Joseph to forgive him. If, he, jo, if Jacob thought that needed to be said, I'm sure he would have said it to Joseph, and there's no record of it. So that sounds like a fabrication they put out there to try to talk Joseph into that forgiveness. Joseph wept because his heart was broken at his brother's attitude. Verse 18, And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants, or slaves. Right back to chapter 37 in that dream of, of his brothers bowing before him. And here they are doing it again. And Joseph said unto them, Now we come to the, the pinnacle of the whole story. Look at that. Verse uh, 19. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is in this day to save much people. This is the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. They meant it for evil. I mean, they had no good intention whatsoever. Their deed was evil. Their thoughts were evil. Their plan was evil. But God can take Bad things that happen to us and bring good out of them. He can bring beauty out of ashes. Joseph had a lot of ashes. And God produced a lot of beauty out of those ashes. And he wants to do the same in your life and in mine. And so, he says, the Lord meant it for good. You meant it for evil, but the Lord meant it for good. Look at verse 21. Now, therefore, fear you not. Don't be afraid of me that I'm going to punish you. It's all in the past. It's all forgiven. Therefore, uh, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kind, kindly unto them. Wow. He had forgiven them and now he reassures them of that great forgiveness. And then verse 26 says, And Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him and he was put into a coffin now before he died he asked them to move his bones when God took the children of Israel out of Egypt to take his bones back to Canaan and so he knew that God was going to keep his promise to put that great nation up there in the holy land and uh, it, it 400 years went by before it actually happened but it did God sent Moses Delivered the children of Israel. And in Exodus, we're told Moses took the bones of Joseph. He'd been dead 400 years. And took him and buried him. It's, uh, it's a beautiful thing. God working His plan. We see His sovereignty through all of these pages. Let me close quickly with this. In the book, The Shot Caller. There was uh, the man who wrote the book, Casey tells his life story. And he talks about when he was eight years old, he, uh, his father was passed out from alcohol. He took a gas stove and drug it over to his father's face and turned the gas on and put it right up in his father's nostrils and mouth so he would... Execute him. So at eight years old, he was trying to kill his father. The mother comes through the door and uh, and freaks out and, and fusses at him, of course, and so forth and, and tells him he can't do that. And he said, he writes in his book, And I remember turning to my mother and telling her, Just leave it alone. I'll take the blame. He writes, My hope was that he would continue to sleep and never wake up. End of quote. The father was an extremely violent man, an alcoholic. He beat his children, and he beat his wife without mercy. Casey would tell about he would beat his his mother right in front of the kids, and she would be bloodied all over, and she would run and hide in a closet. And they grew up with that kind of hatred and anger. He says in his book, he remembers one day when his father took him by the shoulders and shook him and drew him up close and said, Don't call me your dad. Don't ever call me dad. He said, I remember the emptiness. You feel worthless. You feel like, why am I even here? And I became bitter and angry. He lived in L.A., and so he, in a, in a project, in the uh, inner city, where gangs were everywhere. So he got involved in gang life. And when he was 11 years old, he stabbed his first victim. Can you imagine that? 11 years old, he stabbed many people after that. But this is what he would say about it: I. I didn't have any trouble stabbing people because every time I was going to stab someone, I just pictured my father's face on them, and it was easy to stab them. When he was 16, he was arrested for murder and uh, 10 counts, I think it was, of armed robbery, and was sent to a juvenile facility. He was uh, he nearly killed someone in the juvenile facility. He was sent then to Folkham, uh, uh, Folsom Prison. And then, you know, I told a story several weeks ago about a, a lady in prison that was teaching a Bible study. This is a different prison, a different lady. But this lady came, would come to his cell about once a month to try to talk him into coming to a Bible study, and he would curse her and say, No, I'm, I don't believe the Bible, nor believe in God, and so on and so forth. But she would say, Well, I, I'm going to pray for you. I'm putting you on my prayer list. And then the next month she would say, I'm praying for you. You're still on my prayer list. A year and a half went by. And one night he describes it like, we know he was under conviction, but he would describe it like, In his mind, it was like pictures and videos of all the people he had hurt and wronged. And uh, he felt, for the first time in his life, he felt tremendous guilt for those things. Well, this lady was praying for him, you know. And so he said, I found myself in the cell (coughs) weeping and uh, crying out to God, whoever God was. And... uh, He said, I was telling God, I'm sorry for stabbing this person. I'm sorry for stabbing that person. And then he said, I didn't know what to do. So he said, I called for the chaplain. And the chaplain came in. He told him the story. And the chaplain led him to Christ. He was saved. And then he said this, and I'm quoting. There was this freedom that I had never experienced in my life. He said, and I'm quoting again, It was God dealing with me one-on-one, removing the desire of wanting to hurt people. It just went away supernaturally. (laughs) He was 18 at this time. And because of becoming a Christian, he left the gang inside the prison, the prison gang that he was a part of, and they put out a hit on him. And so one night, a man came in with a knife to his cell, and, uh, and Casey knew why. And so he said, stop and think about this, and he, he told him a little bit about the Lord. And this hit man said, and, I, and I, quote, I want to quote him as well, he said, I can't do it. I can't do this to you. But whatever you're doing, I'll roll with you. Casey said, then he shared the gospel in more detail, and Casey led this assassin, as it was, to Christ right there in the cell. The hit was dropped sometime later, and in the next five years, Casey led 200 inmates to Christ. Isn't that something? He was released then. I think he was 25 years old when he was released. And eventually, he forgave his father. From where, where all that hatred and came from, he eventually forgave his father. Can you imagine that? That's what the Lord calls us to do, isn't it? Who, who do you need to forgive? Who has wronged you terribly? Well, after he forgave his father, sometime after that, his father... Came to Christ himself. Now they're not only father, son. They're brothers in Christ. And he lives today still in L.A. He owns his own business, a sign-making business. Has several children and a wife and, and serves the Lord faithfully. There's a place in Christians' lives, almost all of us, a place where we need to forgive someone. You might say it's too terrible to forgive. Well, the one who said, hanging from a cross, Father, forgive them. If He's ruling in your life, it's with His strength and with His grace and love that you can forgive. Bow with me, please, would you? With our heads bowed, maybe you'd say, Preacher... I know we I know we've all had tribulations, but you'd say, Preacher, I'm going through a tough time right now. Right now. Troubled. Difficult. And I want you to pray for me that I'll have the Lord's strength and grace and that I'll forgive whoever I need to forgive. If that's your if that's your prayer today, would you slip your hands up all over the building? Yes. God bless you and you and God bless you. And God bless you and you and God bless you. Yes. You may put them down. Yes, God bless you. I see that one. Now this time, just between you and the Lord, maybe there's somebody you need to forgive and you know it, but you're having great difficulty doing it. Just ask the Lord right now to help you. Yield to His Lordship. If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray for you. No one will come to you or embarrass you. Would you slip your hand up all over anyone? I'm looking around the room. Anyone, you've never trusted the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior. All right. Father, thank you for our time in the Word. Make it profitable, I pray. Speak to us. Teach us. You've seen the hands of your people. Some of them going through difficult times, even right now. And many of us need your grace and strength to forgive. Your love to forgive those who have wronged us. Grant it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, please. The words are on the screen. We're going to sing together. And as we do, if you'd like